Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Welcome to Healing the Grieving Heart with host Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist, author, and international expert in the area of grief and loss. Tune in and hear bereaved parents and siblings share their stories of loss, hope, and renewal. You will learn what they have done to cope, how they have established a new normal in their lives, and how they have gone on to do fantastic things. Dr. Gloria dedicates this show to her deceased son, Scott, and to all the parents and other family members who have lost loved ones before their time. And now, with Healing the Grieving Heart, here's your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hello, I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Welcome to Healing the Grieving Heart. I'm glad you came to join the show today. Keep those emails coming in. I'm really enjoying hearing from you. In fact, I've started a new online advice column for those who have problems that they'd like me to comment on. I also have a tip of the week for you. In order to reach that information, go to my website, healingthegrievingheart.org. Today, our topic is the healing power of dreams. We all dream every night. For those of us who have suffered profound losses, dreams can be friends or foe. In our dreams, our imagination runs free. How many of us have awakened from our dream state early on in our grieving process thinking, it can't be true. Our loved one did not die. It was a bad dream only to find that we are living our greatest nightmare. To dream is natural. It's a universal experience. All people of all cultures enter into this dream state when they sleep. How we regard the dream, however, varies from culture to culture and from person to person. In ancient Egypt and Greece societies, there existed temples where one would go to dream and receive healing or instruction from the gods. In Christian tradition, the dream was thought of as the word of God, or the work of the devil. Muhammad, the founding prophet of Islamic culture, is said to have received what is written in the Quran through his dreams. As time goes on, finding meaning in dreams has largely fallen into disfavor. However, in the early part of this century, dreams were championed by two great thinkers, Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung. Freud called dreams the royal road to the unconscious, and he felt that dreams revealed that which the dreamer would rather keep hidden, But Carl Jung had another theory. In his work with clients, Jung witnessed the natural healing mechanism of dream dream work. He worked with patients' dreams, and Jung rediscovered the age-old wisdom of the dream and its capacity to heal and make whole. Today, our topic is the healing power of dreams, and my guest is Carla Blowy. Carla has gained insight and guidance and wisdom from her dreams for almost 20 years. At age 33, she entered the most challenging and painful time of her life with the accidental death of her five-year-old son, Kevin. Carla chronicles her journey in her book, Dreaming Kevin, The Path to Healing. On this show, Carla Blowy, author, speaker, and presenter, will discuss the use of dreams for spiritual growth and healing. She will introduce us to basic dream work, including the techniques and resources. Carla has an online chat room, as well as a quarterly newspaper uh, letter. Carla, welcome to Healing the Grieving Heart. Hi, Gloria. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you. 
it's wonderful to have you on. Could you tell us a little bit about Kevin and about uh, how you got into dream work and writing your book and and what year he died for our listeners? Okay. Um, well, first of all, I got into dream work <laughs> at age three. Ah. I can go back as far as age three remembering my dreams and um, always having been afraid of them as a child. And then as I became an adult and and in my young adulthood, um, began to study more about them and and became less afraid of, um, you know, the things that were being presented to me, although I didn't have a full mature understanding at that time. And so when I had the nightmare about Kevin dying and and being taken from me... um, So you had a nightmare about him dying early on. Yes, yes, the night before he died. Oh, the night before. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of shifted everything that I had learned and everything that I thought to be true because I'd never had anything that was that prophetic. Mm-hmm. So it, it certainly changed my um, certainly changed my outlook and began to pursue dream work rather deeply after that. Um, Kevin died January 7th, 1991, and it will be about 15 years mm-hmm. this coming January. So uh, he was five and a half years old and died in a bike truck accident. And that was about 12 hours after I'd awakened from the nightmare. Mm. My goodness. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners do talk about some prophetic things that have happened before. Mm-hmm. In fact, my son had talked to my daughter about the fact that if anything happened to him, it was fine. Mm-hmm. And he would be uh, well. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. And, and I think that there are many other people who have had these kinds of things appear to them before. Mm-hmm. So in your dream work, what kind of theories uh, do you use? Well, I don't really subscribe to any theory, although my foundation is union. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a therapist or a counselor or even a dream interpreter, but what I am about is helping the bereaved, especially bereaved parents, see their dreams differently because I believe that everything we need to know to survive this journey is within us. It's not out there. And dream work is an alternative tool for understanding your grief process and reconciling the death of a, of a child or a loved one. It can bring healing to the wounded places in our body, in our heart, in our mind, and in our soul if we learn to trust our intuition. And by that, we can become more conscious of the inner guidance in our dreams and act on that guidance. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you, um, what kind of techniques do you use to access those dreams? Well, with te- techniques in the sense of the first thing I always ask people to do is to examine their sleep environment, examine their sleep cycles, because the first thing that people say to me is, well, I don't dream, or mm-hmm. I don't remember my dreams. And so we sort of have to declutter our environment as well as our mind about that kind of perception. And so um, looking at your sleep cycles and making sure that you're getting adequate sleep at night so that you go through REM you know, rapid eye mm-hmm. movement mm-hmm. where we remember our dreams most. Um, drugs, alcohol, medication, prescription drugs, all of that can affect our sleep cycle. Mm-hmm. And so some of those just might be blocks that, you know, once they're removed or worked with a little bit. Yes, especially uh, when somebody has just uh, recently had a loss. Oftentimes we're given maybe antidepressants mm-hmm. or or Valium or we're using alcohol uh, or whatever and all those um Things uh, I hadn't thought about it before certainly stop our natural processing, mm-hmm. our natural uh, dream processing that we do. We know exactly. that everyone dreams because there have been a lot of sleep studies done, mm-hmm. and we uh, so we know it's all happening for you all. 
So um, trying to access them if you're interested in doing that is, is an interesting... Right. So decluttering mm-hmm. that part of it mm-hmm. is, is the first step. And then the second step is to affirm that you want to remember them. And you can do that every night by either writing an affirmation, praying an affirmation, meditating something that puts yourself in a receptive state. And then with that, the next step then is to honor whatever it is that you get and to bring it into the outer world by journaling it, drawing it, um, singing it, dancing it, somehow bringing it to the outer world. And then being willing to see it differently and to process it by using your intuition and and discernment and to recognize the synchronicities in, in your waking life. Seeing with symbolic sight and suspending that judgment. Could you and talk about a little bit about um, how you would af- affirm it? What if you're afraid? You know, you were talking about as a children. Sometimes mm-hmm. um, we are afraid of our dreams. How yeah. how do you? How would somebody um, calm themselves or <laughs> whatever? Well, I for me, it was about taking it from the inside. It got the, the fearfulness is trapped in your mind. And we spin and we spin and we spin, okay? And so if we can take it from and not intellectualize it, if we can take it out of the mind and speak it and, and bring it from the inner world to the outer world, where it, it, we, we can look at it and become less afraid of it. So my suggestion then is in journaling, if you are able to write and see the written word, you know, it it... I don't want to say that it desensitizes you, but the images are not as frightening. And I had to do that repeatedly over an 18-month period with a nightmare that I had about Kevin. And certainly because it was so traumatic, because, of the, you know, the end result was that he, he did die, that um, with a grief counselor and being able to trust someone that I could speak that with, Yes, uh, that's a good point. I was going to say a dream work uh, group where if you can, there are those around mm-hmm. uh, or get a, a couple of friends together to uh, talk about dreams can maybe a partner bring it out is, in, of it. is important. Someone that you can trust. Someone that you can trust who is who is not going to judge your inner world because you're already doing that. Right. You know? Um, I wanted to, um, I just wanted to put an email in here because you were talking about the nightmare you had about Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, I received an email from a woman called Heather from Gloucester, Mass, and she says, uh, my college roommate's brother was killed in a train accident three months ago, and she keeps uh, waking up about three times a week. She will wake up screaming. Mm-hmm. And um, I wondered, mm-hmm. do you have any suggestions? She listens to your show. Well, Certainly, without that's not enough information for me to suggest anything concrete, okay? Mm-hmm. Because the, for, the, the thing to remember about dreams is that they are a reflection of what's going on in our life on that very first level of dreaming. And so I would ask Heather to look at what's going on in her life that would be represented as a metaphor in that dream. Yeah, and now Heather's the roommate, and she was oh, asking Heather. for her friend. Heather's but, asking for that. But one of the mm-hmm. things I would say to Heather is it's only been three months. Exactly. So uh, she may yeah. be processing this, mm-hmm. uh, that it really happened. And that's happened. the point. The dream, is, the dream is a reflection of what's happening in her life, and she is processing that grief or not. Yeah, and I would say to Heather, the roommate, that she may want to listen to her talk about the dream and mm-hmm. just not say anything. Mm-hmm. 
and let her uh, process, keep processing it and feel like it's an it's not an abnormal thing to have nightmares. Oh, not at all. Especially when there's been a violent accident. Not at all. Yes, and and you know they I read somewhere many years ago that that it takes thirty times of telling your story before it before you believe it before it becomes real to you. And the same thing with dreaming. Absolutely. Well, we're coming up on break uh, now, and when we get back, we're going to talk some more about some steps that you can take if you're interested in the healing power of dreams. Well, you know, I'd like to kind of back up again and and talk about healing first, um, because I think that, you know, to do any kind of processing, we have to, um, you know, look at what, you know, what our motivation is in that. Um, Like I said before, I think everything that we need to know to understand this grief journey is within us. It's not out there. And dreaming can be one of those tools. And I think our survival is dependent on learning to trust ourselves again. So the first step in doing any kind of grief work or dream work is to honestly ask ourselves two questions. And the first one is, do I want healing to occur? And the second one is, am I ready to receive that healing? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, then I'd invite you to begin dream work because by setting an intention that you want healing to occur, you become open to it. And by being ready and willing to change your perception of how that healing is going to occur, then you become more receptive to it. So a note about the words perception and healing. Perception is is learned. Um, the world you live in, including the experience of your body, is is completely dictated by how you learn to perceive it. So if you change your perception, you change the experience of your body in that world. And then healing, the Webster's Dictionary defines healing as to cause an undesirable condition to be overcome. And I don't know about you, but this whole loss and and grief thing that we're doing is about the most undesirable condition I can imagine. Absolutely. And any loss that that listeners might have. Mm Mm-hmm. Any loss, and and there's no pain like this, like the broken heart of a bereaved parent, right? Absolutely. You know, or for anyone that's that's you know lot had and, a loss. And letting yourself be open to healing is quite quite a thought, isn't it's it? It's huge. It's yeah. huge because and if you're not open to it, you're you nothing is going to happen for you. Nothing right. is going to happen for you. So when we can acknowledge our woundedness with love and acceptance for ourselves, there's a transformation that occurs at the soul level, and that fear begins to dissipate, and it makes space for love and healing to occur. So every time we make a choice to see our fears or our dreams differently, we're in a state of healing, in a state of healing. healing now, do you, now, do you think that um, there are some dreams that are a little different? Now, I remember... When my son died, um, I don't think I would have had the energy at that time. It was probably a couple of months later. I don't think I would have had the energy to really write down my dreams or mm-hmm. I just, you know, wouldn't have had it. But I had a dream where he um, he was a catcher on a baseball team, and I had a dream that he was learning how to throw the ball to himself, mm-hmm. standing there and making the ball come towards him. And I looked at him and I said, are you all right? And he and then I realized, I didn't really say it, it kind of a mind transfer thing, and then he's, he looked at me very strangely, and I realized it was a really odd question to ask him, mm-hmm. and he uh, basically said, I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was the end of the dream. But it was very healing for me because I realized that asking people if they were all right wasn't even relevant. All right. So, yeah. But, but yeah. that dream stuck with me for 22 years, mm-hmm. but I didn't really have to do anything with it. Right. And I... And, 
And the difference with that dream and a grief dream to me is there's there's a certain quality to a dream like that where you know at the core level that that's a visit. Right. You know that okay. you are really making a connection with him. The quality of that dream is is different. It's intense. The imagery is there. It's a um, it, it feels like it, it feels real. You you can touch them. You you know that the um, communication is direct and specific, and there isn't it. There is no need for for lots of words. You know, it's intensely yeah. emotional, and you're lucid. Right, exactly. And uh, I have another email from somebody who I think this is the same kind of dream. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for our listeners to realize they don't have to do a lot with these dreams. No, and no, there, it is what it is. It, there really is nothing left that needs to be done with that because it, it's just that simple and basic. The grief dream, however, is going to, to create um, it's going to create more questions and it's going to challenge you and it's going to make you uncomfortable. Yeah, I want to just do one more of what did you call him the visit dream? I think that is interesting because I received an email uh, from Jane from Des Moines, Iowa, and she says this. My sister um, drowned when I was 14 and she was 18. I am now 23 and a school teacher. Um, I teach first grade. I often have a dream that my sister is behind the bookshelf in my classroom. <laughs> and I tell her, and, and she is a first grader, and I tell her she must leave before the class comes in. And she says, every time I have this dream, I wake up feeling very happy. Oh, oh! I think that is an, a wonderful dream. I wouldn't even question that either. There's a playfulness there that I think her sister is trying to remind her of, you know. Um, yeah. And and uh, that's what struck me. Yes, absolutely. And me, and those dreams are all of you out there who have these special dreams. These are visit dreams. We mm. really don't need to do more with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I I just I think that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the quality of the other dreams that we want to do work on. Okay. Yeah. The the other dreams, those grief dreams. Um, well, first of all. Let's back up a, a bit and talk about what a dream is because with that union foundation that I have, Carl Jung said that a dream is a spontaneous self-portrayal in a symbolic form of the actual situation of the unconscious. Now, that's a mouthful, and it's, right. <laughs> you know, that's, that is a mouthful. And so I like to borrow another quote from Abbot David, who is a dream mentor of mine, who simply says that dreams are a snapshot of the soul. And I like the imagery of that definition so our nightly dreams reflect those changes in our life, especially during times of loss and transition, and, and we're trying to bring ourselves back into balance. So if we can think of, of our dreams as a movie, we're the writer, the director, the producer, the set designer, the lead actor, we play all the supporting parts, all those aspects of ourselves are represented in symbols and archetypes and metaphors. That's an, uh, a nice way to put it. Now, for our audience who um, are really not sure about what the archetypes mm-hmm. are, <laughs> could you just say a little bit about yeah. those? Because Jung an was very big is, on those. Yes, an, an archetype is, is a is a pattern of human behavior. From let's just let's I mean going back to the beginning of time. Just look at right. it. Right, it would be the like if I said behavior. mother, mm-hmm. we would all know what mother was. Right. Exactly. So that's, that's we can arc. all relate to it. It's a, if we it's said dog, we would know what dog was. Right. So we, those universal are universal symbols. symbols. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have, and there's universal themes that run through our lives as well. And especially for for dreams of the bereaved, 
there are these these universal themes and symbols of of being lost and found or going on a journey or um, animals that appear that represent our loved ones or ourselves colors uh, temperature even mysterious encounters and and barriers that um, are lifted between the dreamer and the deceased and and experiencing a, a light of paradise or running from something or to someone, being attacked or, or attacking someone. All of those are universal themes that we can all relate to, and they show up mm-hmm. all the time. They show up all the time. But what I like to, to, the way I like to explain it to bereaved parents in my workshop is that, and, and this certainly is, is just my, you know, my perception and based on my experience of, of what I've been doing over the past 20 years is that, in this in this first world, the the physical world that we see outside of ourselves is where we experience and we judge everything that's known for us. It's really common for us to dream that our children are still alive or that we're trying to find them. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I think of these as housekeeping dreams, sort of decluttering our lives, and and wishful thinking or fantasy dreams occur there. It's like I can I can still recall that in between state of waking and dreaming in the early morning after Kevin died and thinking that he was safely asleep in his bed. Right. Yeah. Only to be disappointed, you know, right. when I woke up to that reality of living without him. So in this in that first world or the first level that these are the kinds of dreams we have. In the second world, that in between world that that you see inside of yourself where you've stored all these experiences from your physical world. We can reproduce we have dreams that can re- reproduce Feelings and thoughts and memories about our children. We can, we dream about reliving the illness, the accident, the funeral, or the last conversation. We dream about giving birth to them and, and burying them. We dream mm-hmm. about arguments and disagreements and celebrations and birthdays and the if onlys and should I and why didn't I. Now, and when yet you're these ta- are common. This when you're talking common. about all that, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, some people are going to be out there saying, wow, do I really want to open? Do I want to open that to door? To having this all, yeah, do mm-hmm. I want to open the door to remembering right, all this? Right, right. But it's, but what's good about this, what's healthy about it, is that it, it's a gift. It's our mind's way of processing and accepting the reality of the trauma that our bodies experience because every soul and every cell in our body has recorded these experiences. And that's what gets us triggered. That's what triggers us. So they're a normal response to trauma, but continued nightmares years and years and years after the loss is not productive. And and I don't want that to be misinterpreted as a judgment on our unique time frame, you know, for grieving. But what I mean in that is that in our vulnerability, we've we've allowed the fear to control and drive our life. And, yes. and that's a choice that we make. You know, that's, that's made out of fear. Yeah, that, I think we call that in the therapy world unresolved grief. Unresolved and, grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as it keeps coming up, uh, I think this unresolved grief is a great thing to talk about when we come back from break because mm-hmm. I have an email here, actually, uh, from someone who asked a question about that. So, Carla, we were talking about a little bit about unresolved grief, mm-hmm. and I said that uh, I'd read you an email from someone who uh, sort of addresses that topic. This is an email from Mary from Chicago. She says, my 17-year-old brother was killed in a car crash three years ago. I keep having the same dream over and over. I see him and I say, are you okay? And he says, no, I'm not okay. I have cancer and I'm going to die, but it's okay. I am sad, but I am glad I get a chance to say goodbye. 
However, I am tired of having this dream. <laughs> it's been three, three years. years. <laughs> Can you help me uh, resolve it? Well, the, again, the first thing that, given my approach, you know, in, recognize, in first recognizing those personal associations to things, I would, I would ask Mary to play with some of those significant words that struck me as well and build on that, like cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, I, now I don't know if um, her brother had cancer, if Mary has had an experience of cancer, but I, w- I would ask her. Well, what does cancer did. mean? It's kind of interesting. He was killed in a car crash, but she's mm-hmm. dreaming he had cancer. But cancer comes up. And, and so yeah. for me, if that was my dream, my personal association to cancer would be terminal. Ah, that's you know, interesting, yeah. An end to something. And and definitely, you know, we, we you know we we have this perception that our relationship has ended with our loved one, mm-hmm. but it's also ended with ourselves as we knew ourselves. Because uh-huh. when our loved one dies, we who we knew, the person that we recognized as ourselves also died as well. So those were the kind of connections or or right. so what know, play on words that I would yeah. So what. What does cancer mean to her? Right, you know? and so to play with it a bit. And play yeah. with that. And and then, you know, secondly, um, there's a real clear message that says here, um, I say you're okay, but he, he he says, no, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I'm going to die. Well, if we look at this being a metaphor for the dream self speaking to the self, she's telling herself, I'm, you really are okay. mm you really are okay, and you will survive this. And her, her wounded self is saying, but I'm not. I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm sad. Right. But then again, I want to say goodbye to this. I don't want to live this way. Yeah, very nice. Yes. Very nice. And I'm tired of it. I'm, yeah. I'm weary of well, living this way. I think this is a wonderful email. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's powerful. It's tired it's of having it. a wonderful example. And let's mm-hmm. move on. Mm-hmm. Well, it's great. And another thing I would say, suggest to Mary is that she might want to get involved with, tell us about your chat room and how she would access that. And Oh, you know. um, right. Our chat is on um, www. Afterdeath.com, excuse me. It's the ADC project with Bill and, and Judy Guggenheim. And you can access the chat there. You can go to my website at dreamingkevin.com and, and get into the link from there. Great. We meet monthly, and it's an open forum, just like we're doing right now, sharing dreams, insights, um, you know, ideas, thoughts, ADCs, after-death communications, visits, and uh, it, it's become a, a really uh, warm and safe place, I believe. And uh, and we, we offer that opportunity for, for anyone who is interested in dreams or, or grieving the loss of, of a loved one to come in and share with us. Great. So, Mary, uh, good luck, and I hope you've gotten some insight from this. It's great. And, thanks, uh, Mary. And, uh, yeah, thanks for sending us off that email here. So now we're at the – we've talked about the uh, people who've just joined us that um, – you need to look at your sleep environment, affirm that you want to remember, honor your dream, process it. What else would you suggest there? How about dream journals? Dream journals, yes, absolutely. Dream journals. Um, begin When we begin to write down the, the, the daily or monthly or, you know, even if you only dream two times a year, 
when you start to write those things down, you'll be able to see a pattern. And for the people who say, well, I don't dream, uh, even creating a journal and every morning writing how you felt when you woke up may trigger some of those images to come back during the day. Mm-hmm. Because how we feel is directly connected to what we're seeing, you know, behind behind our closed eyes there, you know. And, and so tracking that might help those images to 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 surface again because mm-hmm. you you become safe you're you're dealing with one aspect of that that you know is unaware of, that you're unaware of well i've got another email here which i think fits into this it's uh, a bruce from lake placid new york um i hear about people having wonderful healing dreams but i have never had such a dream my son was killed mm. in iraq last year and i oh. longed to see him in a dream do you have any suggestions can you will a dream do you think Oh gosh, you know, I hear this question repeatedly from so many bereaved parents and, and because I've had the, the experience of being able to, you know, I, I truly want everyone else to have that as well. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I know that I cannot control that, neither can they. Um, it's a, it's questions that, I, a question I continue to ask myself because it would seem like such a given that the depth of our love for our children should guarantee a dream visit from them. And yet, you know, it doesn't. And so the truth is, I, I don't know. I believe that, I truly believe that no one else knows that answer either. And I disagree with anyone who, who foolishly suggests that, um, parents who are not dreaming their child are not reconciled enough, or they're not patient enough, or they're not connected enough, or they're not praying hard enough, or they're not working hard enough, you know, or any other rash of ridiculous reasons. Dreaming is just one of the ways that we can connect with our, our children, and so the key is to become aware of how they are trying to connect with us, and not set limits on how that'll happen. So, if dreaming is the tool that you want to use, then what is more helpful is to focus on the techniques we talked about to enhance dreaming and dream recall, and maybe play with in, it a little bit, and too, play with and it, not be so serious about it. Right, because the sole intention really is to understand the inner self, and in doing so, then we recognize the obstacles that are there in the hidden agendas, and then we can be more receptive to the guidance that's offered for that healing and brokenness. And we can shine light in the darkest corners of our grief and expose our fear of never being with them again because we can begin to see our beloved children then differently. We, we will see them everywhere and in everything Absolutely. and touching everyone because their light will illuminate that path to healing. Yeah, I would say to Bruce, you know, it's interesting. I do um, a lot of yoga and meditation, and one mm. of the one of the things they always uh, say during meditation is one of the worst things that you can do is have a fabulous experience. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> people are going for that constantly yeah. rather than just having the stillness. Mm-hmm. Or you know, maybe people are maybe Bruce is waiting for the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, expectation. Maybe, yeah, the expectation yeah. that it will happen, and and as I. Say, for some people who have had fabulous dreams, it's, it can be a negative because they can keep looking for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I definitely have done that. You know, with as, as many wonderful experiences as I have had, I'm never satisfied. Right. Who would be? <laughs> you know, what, which one of us would be? We want to, to see our children. Absolutely. In any way we can. But in just stillness. They are there. But in just stillness, exactly. 
And so it's learning to recognize that presence. Absolutely. And and when you have pleasure within yourself, that, mm-hmm. that pleasure is, is life and part of life. As one of my um, very good friends and colleagues says, uh, remember life and grief go together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't have one without the other. That's right. So you need to. Well, Bruce, uh, thank you for your um Email and I would suggest that you might want to also uh, look on a, on uh, Carla's website and whatever. And uh, if you're interested in dreams, start just playing with them. Yeah, you know what? We can talk about some resources too, Gloria. Great. Um, I think the best resource is your personal dream dictionary. And again, that goes back to journaling and tracking and looking for those patterns. Think of it as a, a reference book that you create from recognizing your associations. But I also recommend reading The Dream Messenger by Patricia Garfield uh-huh. and anything that she's written. She has been studying dreams for over 40 years. In fact, she claims to have the longest-running dream journal. <laughs> um, she started when she was 15 or 16 years old, and, and she's, she's into her 70s now, I believe. Oh, great. Yeah, and so great, great work by her. Um, and then there's also um, a book called The Dictionary of Symbols. And what I like about this book is that it uh, gives you definitions from all cultures about many of the universal symbols that, that we're well acquainted with, that we, you know, that we really don't, don't know about. And anything by Carl Jung, even though it's a bit heady, it, you know, the, Carl Jung still has some good stuff. Um, I'd, I'd like to just, you know, recap about the journaling. Um, I know that we, we kind of get stuck on, oh, well, I don't like to write or I can't possibly imagine, you know, putting my words to paper and, and, and seeing them, you know. So, um, there, you know, there's alternatives to that. There's, there's certainly things like drawing and, and painting, um, music, poetry, um, you know, creating a, a mandala or a collage of images. Um, you know, what, how would you do I, that? Just get kind of like a, you could get a magazine and go mm-hmm. through it and cut things up. That'd right. be a great thing for young people too. There is a wonderful art therapist named Sharon Strauss who lives in North Carolina. I, no, she lives in Baltimore. Excuse me. And Sharon has done the most beautiful collages of her grief journey. And they're on, I mean, giant, giant boards where she's pulled images from magazines and and paintings and such and put them together. I mean, it's an absolutely powerful tool to pull those images and and put them in front of you. Wonderful. So, um, and and in journaling, to do the book-wise, put it right next to your bed, put a pen there, don't worry about turning on the light. Grab the pen when you wake up in the middle of the night. Just, you know, write whatever comes to mind, little chicken scratch words. Wake up in the morning, you look back on it, it's going to trigger something. And if any, if nothing more, it's going to make you laugh <laughs> when you see the chicken scratch. <laughs> you know, um, before we end the show, too, I would just like to, for those people who have tuned in late, to just mention... Um, a little bit about the different kinds of dreams, the visit dream, because there's so many people I know who've had those dreams, mm-hmm. and I want them to know they really don't have to analyze them. 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. They they really don't have to analyze that. So early that is. first year or two. Mm-hmm. Even the bad dreams can be processing. Or even the six bad months dreams. Or three months. Or you know when you're not ready to do the dream journal yet. Mm-hmm. Just hang in with some of those dreams. Right. Just hang in with it and and recognize that they're they're um, like little telegrams from your soul. Mm-hmm. You know about something that that's very important that uh, that that needs to be tended to. Right, and some of it maybe you're just processing that it really happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, right, which and aren't always the happiest dreams. Right, those happy ones we want to hold on to the, to those, and we won't have any trouble holding on to them. You know, they're the ones that we can recall immediately. And right, they stay with us absolutely for years. And the other thing is that the the dear the dreams that are scary or whatever, hang in and tell other people about them. Talk about it. Um. You know, as a as a metaphor for what's going on in your life, and and being represented by those those particular symbols that that you you learn about yourself, um, it's a gift. It, it it truly is a gift because it will lead you to a greater understanding of yourself and the relationship that you had with your loved one, with your child. And it's not limiting. All it does is declutter. I'm really big on that word. Mm-hmm. Decluttering our life, decluttering our mind, decluttering so that we can make space for this love to continue to grow so that we can continue this relationship that we have with our children, with our loved ones, and continue to grow spiritually. Absolutely. We're talking about now, rather than uh, acceptance of loss, uh, the continuing bonds. And dream work is a wonderful way to uh, continue those bonds in a, in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd also like to say that, you know, when we honor our own journey, when we honor our own pain and woundedness, I think we'll receive greater support from the non-bereaved because... We respect and honor our needs, and we model that without apology. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a wonderful quote I love that goes something like this. It says, the, the, soul, the soul always knows what to do to heal itself. The challenge is to silence the mind. Ah, that's a, that is lovely. And I, I wish I could remember where I found it and, and give credit to whoever had that profound thought. <laughs> <laughs> it is a very profound thought. So um, let's, again, give our audience a tip on how, when do you think they can start with the dream work and, and do you have any thoughts about it and how can they take care of themselves? How to take care of themselves? Um, hmm. I would say, number one, um, don't drink don't alcohol. Drink. Yeah. Which will yeah. disturb the dreams. Yeah. Watch out for um, the drugs you're taking. Yeah. You've got to clean up. You definitely have to clean up. Self-medicating isn't going to help us. It yeah. really isn't. All it does is dull the senses and it and it screws up our sleep patterns. So, um, you know, clean up the environment, your sleep environment, and, and also create a, a pleasant environment to go to sleep by, mm-hmm. you know, as well. Um, affirm that you want to remember your dream. Something as simple as saying, um, you know, tonight I, 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 I want to remember whatever it is that's being given to me 
and um, and affirm it and and not judge it mm-hmm. and 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 that I will use it to the best of my ability and then next process that dream by journaling it taking it from the inner world to the outer world and um, begin to recognize the synchronicities that occur in the dream that are you see in your waking life Mm-hmm. And and I think it's good to get together if you can, if you're interested, with a dream group because mm-hmm. not everyone wants to hear all your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Especially yeah, when true. they go on and on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that you know, and that is a problem too with any kind of support group. You know, is when to, when to stop the person who's going on and on and on, or who takes too long. But there's a certain sensitivity that you that you have to bring to this kind of work. You know, and and I've learned you can't rush anyone to tell their story. Right, you you have to help them get to the point with some direct questions in a caring and affirming way. But it's important in dream work to speak the dream and all the details and the images and the feelings. So, you know, if you're going to get with the dream group, make sure that it's more than an hour. Right. Now, tell me, do do people ever tape record themselves and then listen? Oh, that's a great great idea. Yes, put the tape recorder next to your bed and talk right into it or when you wake up in the morning hearing it that's the point you're speaking the dream you're hearing it you're reading it it's coming from the inner world to the outer world and it becomes more concrete and less fearful yeah and having a dream partner give it back to you mm-hmm. that's another um that's a, a technique that we a little exercise that we do in my dream workshop where we we partner up and the partner is in the position of listening, and then they have to give back to the dreamer what they heard. Mm 